0: Following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10:30 or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Always at Christmas time, I can't help but do two things. I'm remembering things, I'm thinking back to memories and also trying to make memories and so I remember Christmases when I was a child and also now as a parent Rebecca and I are trying to make memories for our children and there is something specifically when I was a child that uh, made Christmas fun I remember my parents trying to make it special for us and there's a side of my dad that would come out at Christmas time where he would show like his sneaky mischievous side. And he was always trying to pull something over on us, whether it was just something special he was trying to do or some kind of some gift he was trying to give. And it's that quality that is so fun to remember, but it was also what led to um, a great Christmas blooper that I love to remind him about. It was my uh, first Christmas home from college. And I remember uh, my, my sister uh, picked me up from the airport. She had gotten home first. And she picks me up from the airport, and that Christmas, I had asked for something in particular. I was really into the drums, playing the drums at the time, and there was this particular type of drum called a djembe. And a djembe is for, like, hand percussion. It's about, you know, like, this big. It's about this wide. And I was really hoping to get one of those for Christmas. And so my my sister pulls up to the airport. She gives me a hug. She jumps in, pops the trunk, and I open the trunk, and I see a box in the trunk. It's about this big by about this wide, and it says djembe on the side. So I put my luggage in there next to it. I don't say a word. I close the trunk. I get in the car. We, we uh, drive to the house. My parents open the door. They, they greet me, and, and, um, and that is that moment. I'm walking with my luggage, and something clicks in my dad's brain. He says, oh, did you have your luggage in the trunk? I said, yeah, dad, why? And he says, oh, you know, no reason, okay. And so he goes, he's just moving on. I'm like, okay, he's hatching a scheme now, okay. So a little while later, we're, we're talking, and just somehow comes up in the conversation. He says, yeah, this year I, I got for your mom an ottoman. And I said, well, that's different. Did you not get the chair too, like just the ottoman? And he says, yeah, it goes with one of the chairs. It's an ottoman, and I, I got it for mom. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And about 20 minutes later, he says, hey man, can you help me with something? And he's uh, upstairs in his room. So I go upstairs, I go in his room, and sitting on the bed is the box, okay? And, uh, and he says, hey, can you help me move this? It's a little bit heavy. And he's got one side, and I walk to the other side, and the place where the tag that's said Njembe had been removed, and in its place, written in Sharpie marker, <laughs> with disguised handwriting, is just simply the word Ottoman. (laughs) And like a a skew number has been made up, and I think even like a a barcode has been drawn, okay, and I'm looking at him, I'm thinking in my mind, bro, I'm 18 years old, okay? And I pick up the other side of the box, and that entire box weighed about 11 pounds, okay? So the two of us are walking this 11-pound box, Across the room, and I'm thinking to myself, Dad, you carried this box out of the car, up the stairs, hoisted it onto your bed, and now you need my help to move it into the closet. Okay, So it's that same part about my dad that he'd always try and make it special. It's that same quality that was also what led to the greatest blooper of Christmas that I love to remind him of each year. And there's a similar dynamic in, in Rudolph. There, there's the same quality about Rudolph that um, gets him rejected, but also is part of his redemption. So maybe you're familiar with the story of Rudolph. At least you have to have heard the song. Rudolph has this shiny nose, and he gets rejected. He can't play any of the reindeer games. No one wants him around. And um, in the movie, the way it's depicted, the 1964 classic, which is the longest-running Christmas special on TV in history. And in this movie, the way it's depicted, I mean, it's pretty brutal what Rudolph goes through. And just as a reminder, or if you've never seen the movie before, check out this opening scene from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer.
1: He's got a shiny nose. Shiny? I'd even say it glow. Well, we'll simply have to overlook it. Now how can you overlook that? His beak blinks like a blinking beacon. <laughs> well, Donner, where's the new member of the family? After all, if he's going to be on my team someday, he'd better get to know me. Ho, 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 ho. Well, hi there. Aren't you the sturdy little fellow? Ho, 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 ho. Santa. And smart, too. Great bouncing iceberg. Now, I'm sure it'll stop as soon as he grows up, Santa. Well, let's hope so if he wants to make the sleigh team someday.
0: Now, here's the thing about that scene that, that gets me. You know, the song tells us that the other reindeer reject him. Even Santa in this scene, I mean, Santa's jolly. I'm pretty sure Santa likes everybody, but even Santa looks at Rudolph and says, man, because of that nose, unless you grow out of it, you are never going to be able to be on my team. You're never going to be able to lead and be one of the reindeers that guides the sleigh. And so you see, what happens to Rudolph is eventually he gets ridiculed, he um, the, the nose becomes like his shame. He runs away and he goes off all by himself in his loneliness. But there's something that brings the story of Rudolph all the way back around. There's a redemption that Rudolph experiences at the end. And, and there's something about the way he's redeemed that just struck me this year. As many times as I've heard that song or I've watched that movie... Man, it struck me differently this year, and I don't want to tell you about that in just a minute, but it's that same thing that struck me about the Rudolph story, it's the same thing that reminds me of that story when I was growing up as a kid, it's that same quality that's in the original Christmas story. There's a piece of the Christmas story that we've been uh, going through together, it's the story of Simeon, and that story in and of itself is kind of a, a misfit, because um, that that's not often remembered as part of the Christmas story. It takes place about five or six weeks after Jesus is born when Mary and Joseph are taking baby Jesus into the temple. Now I want you to just think back, all of the things Mary and Joseph are trying to sort through what they've experienced so far uh, in their life. Several months earlier, Mary is in her house one day and an angel, Gabriel, appears. Now we might hear that every Christmas, But that's crazy. I mean, just that in and of itself. I mean, an angel. Like, you're just going about your business. Okay, you're putting a Pop-Tart in the toaster. And an angel appears. Okay, that's like, you don't get over that the rest of your life. Okay, and it's not just that an angel appears. But it's what that angel says to her that is so unbelievable. Gabriel looks at Mary and says, Even though you're a virgin, Mary... God is going to place life in your womb. She hears that and she's trying to grasp it, trying to believe it. Can you imagine what it must have been like weeks later when the first signs of that pregnancy started to show up? How she must have tried to grasp that? Well, her fiance, Joseph, hears about it. And he has the same reaction that probably most other people in Nazareth have like this is some kind of scandal they're they're uh, they're engaged and now she's pregnant and he decides to just break off the engagement quietly but then he has a dream and in his dream an angel appears to him and says no this thing's from god so joseph going off a dream he has one night decides to go with it and he's watching as mary the pregnancy is going her belly is growing He's watching as probably there's whispers about them. And if that's not complicated enough, Rome sends out and says, "You, there's a census, you have to go to the place of your birth. And now he's got to take his very pregnant wife, about to give birth at any moment, all the way to Bethlehem. They go on a road trip, they travel all the way to Bethlehem, they get there, it's slammed with people, there's no place for them to stay. The only place they can go is inside a stable, and it's at that point that Mary has baby Jesus. He takes this child. He's in the stable. Where does he put him? He cleans out the the manger, the feeding trough, and he places baby Jesus in the manger. And, you know, we, we look at that, oh, it's so nice and picturesque, and what a beautiful moment. And it is an unbelievable moment. But don't you think that Joseph must have been thinking, I've been given the responsibility. This child, I'm just trying to figure out and grasp, you know, things like, you know, God with us you know, like the the Savior, the Son of God. Like, I I am entrusted with this child of promise. And God, I mean, look at at this. Are you sure you picked the right guy? This is the best I can do. I just put that baby in a feeding trough. And right about the time he's thinking of that, some rough, rugged, dirty, smelly shepherds come running into the stable. He must have thought he's about to get robbed. And they see this baby in the manger, and they all just bow down, get on a knee, and they're looking at him. They're still trembling from the sensory overload they just experienced. And they say, well, What is going on? And they said, we just, we just saw an angel. We saw a bunch of angels, and Mary and Joseph, who've just had their own angel encounters, probably looked at each other. And now we're listening very intently. What happened? An angel appeared and, and, and said that like, Christ the Lord was born. He's a savior. And then maybe like they're, they're still kind of shaking. They said, and then it was like every angel in all of heaven just emptied out and filled the sky. I mean, we, we were blinded. We couldn't even see. And then they start singing and praising this baby that we were told would be in a manger. And when we regained consciousness, we ran here as fast as we could. And can you imagine all that Mary and Joseph were sorting through? A few weeks later, they get their baby and they come to the temple. Because at about five or six weeks old, the Old Testament law prescribes that they should offer sacrifices. They're supposed to offer sacrifices in the temple. They're supposed to bring a lamb. And so they're walking into the temple, but they don't have a a lamb to sacrifice. They have two turtle doves, which means that they had to take advantage of a contingency in the law that if you were a poor and couldn't afford a lamb, you could get turtle doves instead. You wonder if they were thinking, man, I, I hope we don't run into anyone in Naz- from Nazareth because they just did not understand. Man, I hope no one asked too many questions here. You know, I, I, I wonder if they were tracking like hay still in from the stable they're staying in into the temple. I wonder if they're feeling self-conscious about the fact that They have these two turtledoves. It's just evidence of their poverty. And as they're walking into this busy, bustling temple, wide-eyed, there's another person that enters the temple that day. See, this passage in Luke 2, it, it describes this guy named Simeon. And we don't know a ton about him, but what we know is he loved God. He just was a godly man. And it says he was waiting and hoping for all the promises of Israel to come through. He just loved God. He says, God, you've promised all these things. You've promised things to Abraham and to Moses and to David and to our people. And we're waiting. When are these promises going to come true? Because, God, we look around and nothing looks like the fulfillment of your promises. God, when are you going to fulfill these promises? And it tells us that at some point in his life, God had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah with his own eyes. And so he'd been waiting. You know, maybe he'd been waiting decades. Maybe there were years that he was like really believing, yes, I'm going to see this. Maybe there's years he doubted. Maybe there's years that his wife was said to him, man, are you sure that God really said that to you? But this day it says, all it says is he came in the spirit to the temple. This, it, all it, it tells us is somehow he just felt compelled by God to show up at the temple. I wonder what must have been going through his mind. Man, is this stupid? God, am I wasting my time here? And he gets there and he's looking. Maybe today's the day I'm going to see the Messiah. He's looking over here maybe and he he sees this religious leader teaching the law. No. And he comes over here and he says, man, I I see those noble people there. No, it's none of them. And he's walking around. No, God, is this, am I just being stupid? And maybe just when he's about to leave, he just stops and he sees this poor couple walking in. And he knows. He walks up to Mary and Joseph. And he takes their baby, named Jesus, into his hands. And this is what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. He takes this baby in his arms and he looks up into, into heaven and he says to God, God, you can take me home now. I can die in peace. Today could be my last day. Everything my life has been building towards when I look on the face of this child, everything my life has been waiting for has been fulfilled. What a beautiful moment for him. All that his life was building to this moment to hold this baby and see this face. I mean, he didn't even know how this baby was going to be the Messiah. He just knew he was holding him in his arms. But that's not all he said. Did you notice? He said this was the salvation. He realizes what I've been waiting for. This doesn't just fulfill everything I've been waiting for in my life. This is the one that fulfills all of the promises of Israel. All that was promised, all to our our forefathers and Abraham and Moses and David, and all of it's been pointing towards this is the one, the single, the key, that, that unlocks all the promises and fulfills them in one. But then in that moment, he has an even greater realization. Did you notice what he said? A light that is a revelation to the Gentiles, to all peoples. He realizes this baby doesn't just, isn't just what his life has been waiting for. This baby's not just what Israel's been waiting for. This is what all the world has been waiting for. There's a, a painting of this moment. It's called Simeon's Moment. I want you to take a look at it. I love this painting. Check this out. Isn't that just a beautiful picture? And the artist who painted this said he was trying to grasp As Simeon's holding, just just clutching this tiny baby, just this look of sheer joy on his face. As he's holding the one that all of his life was waiting for, all that Israel's waiting for. But you see, there's more to this picture. Do you notice there's just a glimmer of light just emanating from the child? And you can see kind of imprinted on top of this picture is the outline of the map of the world. Because this child would be, for all peoples, the hope. There's one more thing I want you to see in this painting. If you look closely on his cheek, there's a single tear coming down his face. And the artist talks about this, he says that that, that it's for two reasons. The first is because of the beauty of this moment, of all that's being fulfilled in this moment. But there's another reason. It's because in this moment as he's holding this baby, he knows. He gets a sense that this child will have to suffer to accomplish his purpose. Let me read you the last thing that Simeon said. And it wraps up the whole Simeon story. This is what he says. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold! This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Did you catch what he just said? I mean, this story is so beautiful. It's so sweet. It's this fulfillment of this man's life and of all things. But did you see that it just kind of takes this dark turn? It's like you ever watched a movie where the music is swelling and it's beautiful and, and all of the notes kind of resolve and it's just incredible music and then it settles and then it kind of turns a minor note. And it kind of settles into kind of a dark kind of haunting note and accuses the person that's watching that something bad is about to happen. That's kind of what happens in this story because here's what he says. He, he hands the child back. He looks at them and blesses them. God bless you too. And then he pauses and he looks at Mary and he warns her, you will know that this child is fulfilling its purpose when there's opposition, a sign that is opposed. Because he has been called for the falling and rising of many in Israel so that their hearts may be revealed. In other words, because of this Messiah's mission, many will fall and many will rise. Man, that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Jesus was kind of this polarizing figure. People either, the more they got to know him, they either loved him, dropped everything and followed him, or the more they got to know him, they they absolutely rejected him and plotted for his death. It was like one or the other. You can actually see that in the end of his life. You see the last week he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but the crowds are cheering for him. They're they're laying down palm branches, putting their cloaks down, and they're praising him like a conquering hero coming in. But that's not the same note that they're singing at the end of the week, is it? By the end of the week, the crowds are demanding that Jesus be crucified. See, there's this, this dynamic about Jesus it's the same thing about Jesus is the same thing that either causes people to f- give everything to follow him and love him or reject him. It's really one or the other. You know it reminds me of that, that story from I remember from my childhood. It's that, that same attribute that was such an endearing quality, which is the same attribute that is uh, such a blooper, or it's similar to, to Rudolph. You know, there's something that hit me about Rudolph this year. After they, Rudolph comes back in, they welcome him back in. They apologize for rejecting him. We don't mind your red nose anymore, Rudolph. There's a party. But at the end of the scene, I want you to see this. Santa comes in and he's got some bad news. There's this terrible storm and this fog has descended on the North Pole. And there's bad news. Look what uh, Santa comes in and says in the North Pole. Check it out.
1: Quiet, quiet, please everybody, quiet. Quiet. I've got some bad news, folks. Christmas is going to be cancelled. There's nothing I can do. This weather... Rudolph, Rudolph, please. Could you tone it down a bit? I mean, that nose of yours. That nose. That beautiful, wonderful nose. Huh? Rudolph. Christmas is not off, and you're going to lead my team. I am? Yes, sir. You and that wonderful nose of yours. My nose, sir? Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. From what I see now, that'll cut through the murkiest storm they can dish up. What I'm trying to say is, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It will be an
0: honor, sir. Here's what struck me this year for the first time is when Rudolph gets welcomed back, they're not just saying, okay, Rudolph, we know your nose. It's, it's weird. But you can be our friend anyway. It's not just Santa is not just saying, hey, look, Rudolph, I, I know that your nose, we, we don't like it. But that's no reason to keep you off the team Will welcome you onto the team despite your weird nose. That's not really what he's being said. Did you notice? It's the same quality. It's the same thing. It's the nose. It's the same quality that caused Santa to say, "You could never be on my team." Is the same quality that got Rudolph onto the team. You see that? It's the same exact thing that caused Rudolph to be completely rejected, ridiculed, shamed, and let off on his, on his own, is the exact same quality. It's the nose that actually saves all of Christmas. See, there's this attribute about Jesus, there's this essential thing about Jesus that when you really know who Jesus is, it does one of two things, and only one of two things. It either draws us to Jesus and we surrender all that we have or we have to completely reject him. And that essential quality is this. Jesus was God in the flesh and came to rescue humanity. And he did it by dying on the cross. Did you notice what Simeon said to Mary? He warns her, a sword will run through your soul as well because one day she would be standing at the foot of the cross And witnessing Jesus crucified to pay for our sins. A a writer, thinker, author from the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Narnia Chronicles. He's also uh, really first and foremost a scholar at Oxford. And came to Christ out of his logical reasoning. And uh, what he said about Jesus is, is really profound. He says, there's a lot of things you can say about Jesus. But there's one thing you cannot with logical, rational integrity, you cannot say this about Jesus. You cannot say, I respect Jesus. I like him. He was a good moral teacher. He was a good human teacher. He says, that's one thing you can't say about Jesus. He says, because here's what Jesus said as a teacher. He said, I and the Father are one. One. He said, in other words, God and me were one. He said, when they're asking, they're pushing him, and they're questioning him, and they're asking him, "Yeah, what about all the things with Father Abraham?" He says, "Before Abraham was, I am." He's saying, "I've existed even thousands of years ago, even pre-existent. I've always existed." He said to them, "He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me." When people fell, fell down and said, "You are the Son of God," he says, "Yes, you understand." Jesus claimed to be God here to rescue us. And so here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I think he's right on target. It's, It's so logical. He says, look, you can either reject him as crazy or acknowledge that what he's saying is right, which means we surrender our life to him as God. But you can't stand in the middle and just say, I respect him as a good human teacher because of what he claimed. See, here's the position that that baby in the manger puts us. We've got to decide which, what, what to do with Jesus. What angle we're going to take. We either have to give our lives to him and surrender or utterly reject him. But it's really one or the other. And see, sometimes the hardest thing about accepting Jesus is, some, for some people it's, like, it's hard for me to imagine that God would appear in flesh. But for others the hard part is, It's hard for me to admit that I need to be rescued. I'm not sure I need to be rescued. My life's going pretty well. I'm not sure I need Jesus. But you know, there's something about that Rudolph movie that I think kind of tugs at our our heartstrings. I think there's something that just strikes a chord in us. I think there's a reason why something about the story that makes this goofy claymation movie the longest running Christmas television special in history. Because I think every now and then we get glimpses of our brokenness. I think every now and then when we see how Rudolph is ridiculed, it kind of strikes a chord. And we want to see how that gets resolved because we still have painful words that people have said to us throughout our life bouncing around inside our brains. We know what it's like to be verbally wounded and we know what it's like to be rejected. I think there's something inside of us when we see uh, Rudolph in this movie, when we see loneliness, we see him off by himself. Man, there, there's many of us that might be here saying, look, I'm surrounded by family. I'm surrounded by Christmas parties. I go to work parties and, and parties with friends and neighborhood parties. I've got all my family around. I've got my, my, my spouse and my children. But if I'm honest with you, I am deeply, deeply lonely. And wondering, does anyone know me? Do I belong anywhere? Is anyone really walking through this life, understanding me and journeying with me? And there's this deep down loneliness that every now and then we try to distract ourselves from, but is lurking there reminding us of our brokenness. I wonder if deep down when we see Rudolph walk away and we see him just the shame, just weighing down on him, I wonder sometimes if that just strikes a chord in us because maybe some of us know what it's like to feel shame. We know what it's like to have the video on repeat in our minds of the things that we've done that we regret. And we carry it on ourselves as if that's who we are, and we carry this guilt and the shame. Like I wish I'd never done that. I wish I hope people never find out about that, what I did, or why can't I stop doing this? Or I keep falling in these same traps, and I just it weighs on me until I really feel unworthy of any love from anyone. And we might try and numb that pain with a Christmas party, or this, or this, or distractions, or presents. But deep down, every now and then we just get a hint of our brokenness, and we deep down know that we need to be rescued. Do you know what the story of Christmas is about? It's God looking down at you and I, loving us so much and saying, I'm going to give it all to rescue you. Jesus enters into creation, God in the flesh, and he sees us, a bunch of misfits. And he says, you know what, even though Jesus is the most glorious being, the one that holds the universe together, the one deserving of all worship, he's going to come down to earth And he was mocked and ridiculed and rejected. He says, I'm going to take that ridicule so that you can be called something different. So that you can be called a child of God. He takes all of that loneliness. He's nailed to a cross to pay for our sins before God. And while he's nailed to the cross... All of his friends abandon him, they, they betray him, his friends reject him, deny him, and he's all alone to the point that he looks up to heaven and even God the Father is turning his face from his son and he cries out, why have you forsaken me utterly alone with our sin on him? Why? He did that, he took that loneliness on himself so that we could find where we belong, adopted in the family of God, as children. You know what he took on the cross? He scooped up all of our guilt and shame and sin, and he paid for it as a sacrifice on the cross and then rose from the dead, making it fully paid for so that we can be accepted by God and spend eternity in heaven. Do you know what the story of Christmas is? Jesus became a misfit so that we could find a place to belong. That's what he's offering you today. So here's the question. You saw Simeon's face in that painting of what his reaction was when he was looking at Jesus. How do you see Jesus? Because he's the Savior, he's your Savior. Because what Simeon was holding, he couldn't possibly have comprehended, as it says in the Bible that the fullness of God was dwelling in this body. He was holding in his arms the fullness of Almighty God, confined to a small baby that probably couldn't even pick his head up yet. Can you imagine? The same arms of an infant that were just moving around, maybe grasped around Simeon's thumb, this little hand are the same hands that would one day have nails driven through them as he hangs on a cross. That same little face looking up at Simeon with newborn hair across his forehead is the same brow that a crown of thorns would be thrust down on. Why? To take our brokenness so we could find a place to belong. Jesus is what you've been waiting for. Jesus is your hope. He's God in the flesh that came to rescue you. And I want to give you an opportunity today to put your faith in Jesus. You can't walk out of here today and say, I I respect Jesus as a good human teacher. you got to reject him as a lunatic or give him your life as he being the Lord of your life. Can Can I beg you? Whether you're sitting here, you're watching online, you're sitting in the overflow section, wherever you're at, today... Can you just find your rescue? Can you find where you belong, what you've been waiting for? Can you today put your faith in Jesus? He came to save you. I want to give you an opportunity to take that step. Can everyone just take a moment, just close your eyes. Just bow your heads for a moment. I want to give you a moment, if that's you, to to make Jesus your Lord, to just Simply just step over the line and say, I- I'm ready. Jesus, please rescue me. To just take that moment where you say, once and for all, I, I want to know that my sins are washed away, that I- I'm forgiven, I spend forever in heaven. I just want to know that I'm saved. I, I want to be reconciled to God. I want today to be the day. I want this to be the Christmas memory that I always remember. Man, take that step today, please. Find Jesus. That's what this whole thing's about. So if that's you, here's what I want to do. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And each of these phrases, just right there, just silently in your heart to God, I just want you to have a quiet moment with you and God. And just in that moment, if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus today, then as I say these phrases, just silently in your heart, I want you to pray them to God. Put your faith in Jesus for the first time today. If that's you, then just silently pray this prayer before God. Just say, God, thank you for saving me. I believe that you sent Jesus to pay for my sins. I believe he rose again from the dead because he was God in the flesh. I want to make him my Lord. I surrender to you, God.